Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wim Lou. Join me on the program once again, friend of the program, Sean Hyken of the Rose Garden Report. Uh, get the newsletter and the podcast uh, because it gives you all things insight into the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, big thanks to Sean for joining us on the program. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know uh, what's what's going on in Portland these days. <laughs> Obviously, you know, uh, the Damian Lillard <laughs> trade. Uh, what whether it's going to happen, you know, it's a lot of smoke around it. Uh, I think obviously it's it's not hidden that he wants to 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 you know go. I mean, why am I recapping this? Everyone knows this. I mean, what have you guys been living under a rock in terms of NBA storylines? So where does he want? Where does he want to be traded to? I haven't heard anything reported about that. Well, well I mean, you know, all we know is one of his favorite uh, Will Smith songs is Miami. So um, I think that's <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe it was, to it was a, a total. It was such a. It was such a coincidence that that was being played at, at at a club that he was at in Paris that his agent actually felt compelled to put out a statement refuting that it was intentional, which might uh-huh. still be the dumbest part of this entire saga. Although I think the thing that might come close is he liked a tweet at one point saying that he would want to stay if Jody Allen sold the team to Phil Knight, and then he went on Instagram Live to walk it back. Okay. Yeah. So it's been, it's honestly, it's funny, Will, like people in my life for the last, what, three months that this has been going on have been, whenever I've seen them or whenever I've been talking to just people I know, like friends, family, whatever the case may be, who are not in the business, but are keeping up with what's going on are saying stuff to me like, oh man, this must be such a crazy and chaotic and stressful summer for you. And I'm just like, well, you know, not really. Like you think that's, that sounds weird, but on July 1st, he requested the trade. Mm-hmm. It became known that same day that the only place he wanted to go was Miami. And up until like three or four days ago, or whenever this latest round of talks started picking up, that was the news. We Everybody was just kind of rehashing it, you know, for three months or however many weeks it was. And every week, you know, we were all getting on our various podcasts and saying, oh, well, you know, we, you know, is the Miami offer really that bad? Or no, this offer is that bad? Or, oh, could this other team get in? And it was just going around in circles with no actual updates. And this last week or so has been the first time that I felt like, okay, stuff has actually started to pick up and there might be some momentum towards something happening or not. We could be, you know, training camp starts a week from today, if we're recording this on Monday, training media day is Monday, October 2nd. Mm-hmm. We could still be took, looking at a deal not being done. Yeah. So, and all this momentum is for nothing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just asked you uh, just before connecting officially on the call. And I was like, you know, is there a deadline for, for Portland to get this done? And is media day that deadline? Cause it, it could be, you know what I mean? Like obviously you want your business resolved and, you know, for teams acquiring Dame, just like I'm sure there's maybe some incentive for for Portland in an ideal world where you go into media day, you explain what happened, and then you just move on. You guys have a, you know, young group that you guys can move forward with. You guys moved up in the draft, took Scoot Henderson. Obviously, there was a lot of discussions around the number three pick. That's actually the last time we had you on the program because yeah. Toronto was having conversations with Portland in a different direction. Uh, but now, <laughs> you know, Toronto's very chatty. So now we're now we're all of a sudden buying, even though we were selling around the time of the draft potentially but uh yeah so but there is it doesn't sound like there actually is that deadline like if this this could just very well carry over past this magical media day threshold of october 2nd depends on what the offers are i think they would like to get something done this week i think they would like to not have the awkwardness of dame being in camp and having that be something people ask about like you know this so they're go they're going to santa barbara for training camp mm. for the second year in a row and 
I don't think there's going to be that much local media down there. I will be down there, but I don't think there's going to be a ton of local media. But Santa Barbara is pretty close to L.A. But and so if Dame is still on the team, yeah, I think there's a chance that some of those like national guys who are based in L.A. might just pop over to see the circus. So I think they would like to avoid all that and have it all be about Scoot and have it be the kind of this fresh start and, you know, be you know moving forward. But if the options are take a bad deal or take what they feel is a bad deal for, or just drag this out and have it be awkward. I think they would still probably choose the latter option, even if it's not, even if they would like to have it resolved before then. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, what's Dave going to do? Do more podcasts? Just kidding. <laughs> I think he might be the only one who did more podcasts than me this summer. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so specifically, cause this is the Raptor show and, and a good timing on this. Yeah. You tweeted, uh, like literally within the last 30 minutes. Uh, indeed, the team I've heard the most around the past week with Dame is Toronto. Personally, I'll believe Masai actually goes through with it when I see it, but they are the team. Uh, there's been the most smoke around. This is uh, from your Twitter account in the last 30 minutes. This also is, you know, echoes what Mark Spears said on NBA Today uh, on Monday, which he, he said that the, the hottest name right now is the Toronto Raptors. Uh, talked to two high-ranking team executives that said Toronto is the front runner. Uh, you know, not not to make this sound like an SNL skit, but but why is Toronto suddenly the hottest thing? Because they're the team that I think the Blazers have had the most conversations with. I mean, as and when, when we talk about teams that had the most conversations with, I'm not even talking about like the caveat of non-Miami teams because you know you saw all the reporting last week that the Blazers still haven't really engaged with Miami. As far as I know, that has not changed i mean maybe it has and it just hasn't gotten out but if portland has talked to miami i haven't heard about it. Mm. i think that's still kind of where things stand i think they still don't love the pool of assets that miami has or could offer or may or may not be willing to actually offer i don't think they like any of that stuff and so i don't think they feel like there's any real reason to engage but right now Toronto is the team that I think they've had the most serious conversations with. I, where those stand at this exact moment or what's on offer, I don't know. But I, that's the team, if you're asking me to name a team that you've heard the most stuff around behind the scenes, you know, I, and I also, I'll say this, I think there's, it's not a coincidence that whenever any of these, whether it's, you know, Spears, who you just named, or there are other reporters out there that, I think it's pretty safe to draw the lines of, you know, people being connected with, you know, right. the Dame side and the Goodwin side of it. Whenever they want to talk about, uh, you know, oh, if he's not traded to Miami, he might not be happy. He might try to make it ugly. He might whatever. The re the, the example that those teams keep, that those, that those folks, whenever people are kind of, you know, using that, you know, scenario they always mention Toronto as an example of a hypothetical right. team. Right. There is a reason that that is the team that always gets thrown out because I think that's the team that the Goodwins are the most afraid is actually going to, you know, pull the trigger and get something done. Like I kind of said on that tweet that you read, how many times have we been this close to <laughs> Masai talking about doing yeah. something like this, whether it's trading for a guy like they were, you know, in the mix for Kevin Durant at one point last summer during that whole thing, or, in the other direction as sellers, like I know that Portland has had pretty serious talks with them about OG and Adobe at different points. And so have other teams, Memphis, Indiana, whoever. 
And at the very last minute, Masai just decides, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do this. Like until it actually happens until like either I hear from somebody that it's done or the Woj tweet comes out or whoever breaks it says it's done. I'm choosing to not put all the eggs in. Oh, this is definitely going to get done with Toronto. Although I will say that uh, somebody is connected with Dame's side as Mark Spears going public and saying it on TV, I, I think is significant. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think the first inklings of this came out like probably two weeks ago where Shams put out a little update and he was like, yeah, you know, just for example, Toronto, you know, and 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 that sort of... <laughs> and it's, it, that, that got my antenna up too. It's like, yeah. why would he mention Toronto? He right? couldn't mention any team. Why did he mention Toronto? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... It's like, this... the wind, it's like the Windy pointing his fingers. Like, why would he do that? Why is, why is every single one of these like hypotheticals about if Dame goes somewhere, why is it always Toronto? Because that's the team that Dame and the Goodwins are worried about him, about actually having, you know, interest in trading for him. Yeah, well, this is a bit of a side tangent, uh, but, you know, I think it's really interesting because um, whether you want to call it like sports media literacy or what what it is necessarily, I think like maybe even five years ago when we saw reports, we're like, okay, this is a report, cool. Uh, and, and maybe like, especially people following the league, fans were just like, all right, this is what the information is, let's roll with it, let's, let's hop on the trade machine. Now, I think it's like jumped to a new level where it's like, okay, which reporter tweeted it? What's their previous connections? Let me see their projects with this player and that past you know, does he, you know, have connections to this agent, that agent? Does he have connections with this team? Like, there's that extra level of, like, uh, you know, rumor, like, sleuthing that I think is, has gone so advanced for the average NBA fan that, like, yeah, everyone kind of looks immediately at, like, okay, that report came out. Who did it come out from? And therefore, where did he get that information from in terms of the sourcing? And, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how that how that uh, lands in your, your, your side of things because you report quite a few – uh, details especially from the portland area but um yeah I, I think i think that's just interesting that that's just the direction that uh, fandom has gone the crazy online nba fan media literacy about this stuff has kind of gone up but you wouldn't believe how much stuff i've been getting hit with with like random youtubers saying that their sources told them this and it's like not somebody that's ever you know been around the team or been yeah. you know talking to anybody and people just kind of run with it or you know reputable media outlets are quoting anonymous accounts in print as a source that's something that's happened in this market and then the thing that really annoys me and this is going back to like people in my life uh are you know asking me about this but aren't like you know living it every single day a couple of different times this uh off season there have been one of those that's not even like reporting or pretending to be a report but like uh you know, one of the one of those like Bleacher Report trade slideshows where it's just mm. like five hypothetical trades where it's just like somebody coming up with stuff in the trade machine and it's not being presented as reporting. It's just somebody coming up with fake trades. And then those fake trades get aggregated on whatever blog, which then gets posted on Facebook. And then I have my dad texting me, hey, I heard that the Blazers might be trading Dame to Brooklyn for Ben Simmons and draft picks. And I have to be yeah. like, OK, well, dad, and I have to like walk him through like, OK, where did you hear that? Okay, Uh this is from this. This is not an actual report. This is just somebody on the trade machine coming up with something in a slideshow. Like, it's there's a lot of like I I think there's like in in some ways like the media literacy is higher, but it's also like that's fair. There's a lot more noise, and especially now in this current era of uh, the current owner of Twitter uh, making it so anybody can pay for a blue check mark, and you're now financially incentivized to get as much engagement as possible. That has led to, I think, a lot more 
irresponsible aggregation of this stuff, which leads to a lot of stuff getting spread and a lot more, you know, stuff to sort through that's not real. Yeah, that's fair. I, I think that's that's really fair. And I think that like, not not to say that there's any sort of like rules or like morality that when it comes to like something like reporting sports news. I mean, I think there's in other aspects of journalism, I, I think absolutely uh, there are ethics and morals that come into it. But um yeah, I don't know. I feel like the, the game kind of did change. I mean, like, if you open up Twitter right now and you happen to be using the For You tab, it, it, like, for me at least, every single tweet is about Damian Lillard is joining the Raptors and maybe Giannis is here too. And I'm like... Oh, I never even I'm, look at the For You tab. I oh don't even God. I don't even look at it out of curiosity. I open yeah, it up and fair. go right that's to fair. following. That's fair. I've, that's I, have seen, I have seen some clutch points graphics, though, of him in Raptors jerseys. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. I mean, like, you know, I've somehow, if, if I just open up Twitter and didn't really think... Uh, much about it uh, you know again like Damian Lillard and Giannis are on the Raptors and I'm very much looking to media day in, in a week or so when I <laughs> when I interview those guys but uh, anyway let, let's get back on the, the point itself so yeah Toronto in these discussions so clearly yeah Toronto's in the discussions you know um, and I, I think the one thing you keep hearing about uh, well actually maybe two things it, it doesn't seem like Pascal's in this deal which doesn't really make sense because you need get to give Dame a secondary score uh, and Pascal would ha- is by far your best option to be a number two option alongside of Dame if you were to hypothetically land in Toronto. So that makes sense. Right. Uh, and then it seems like Scotty Barnes is not really in this deal. I mean, I know Jake Fisher put out a report uh, over at Yahoo, and he wrote about how essentially, yeah, Scotty is not uh, involved in any of these talks. Um, is is that also sort of the sense you're getting that these these talks between Toronto and Portland so far have excluded those two names, and I'm sure has included guys like OG and Gary instead. I mean, well, I don't think I don't think Pascal is somebody that Portland would be interested in in this scenario. I think that's somebody they might have had sure. some interest in when they were looking for win now guys to build around Dame. That's a guy that I think would have made sense for them to pursue, but he doesn't really make a ton of sense when you're going in totally the other direction. Mm. Uh, I think in an ideal world, if you're Portland, you would like to get Scotty Barnes just because that's the guy that still has two years left on his rookie contract and is kind of more on the timeline uh, of the Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp group that they're trying to build around now in like a post-Dame world. Yeah, That's, you know, that you it would make, and he's also a wing, which, you know, fits positionally with what they have, you know, d- don't have. It's like, like he's not, you know, another guard that you're trading for as a centerpiece. Yeah, yeah. So he's not Tyler Hero. Yeah, yeah. Correct. He would make like he would make the most sense as somebody to want. I've heard a lot of the same stuff as Jake that I don't think Messiah is really interested in including him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just by process of elimination, you would think it would have to be OG. And I don't know. I mean, I think from a talent standpoint, yeah, that makes sense that, you know, he's a good enough player that that's who you and I, and again, I know that's somebody that Portland has pursued in the past. They got I don't want to, I don't know how close, but they got close enough at, oh, you know, on draft night in 2022 mm-hmm. when they were on the clock at seven. It was like still an active discussion at that point and, and obviously ended up not happening. And then they, they pursued him. He, you know, he was one of the guys. I don't think they would have traded the third pick for him, but he was somebody yeah. that they talked about. But like OG is somebody that they have gone after over the past year or 18 months. And At so Dame's in some past, right? Like th- yes, that's one but, of the guys Dame wanted to play with, right? Yeah, that's one of his guys. And so, but and so he it made a lot of sense as a guy you want to trade for as like a win now guy because he's the kind of defensive wing that you, you know, you put that with Dame and with Jeremy Grant and with Anthony Simons, and that makes a lot of sense. I'm not sure how much sense that makes for a team that's rebuilding, 
especially considering OG is about to be a free agent next year and then you got to pay him. Mm-hmm. So then it's like you're paying, you know, you have Scoot, you got Shade and you're not going to be very good. You're going to be a lottery team. You're, you just paid Jeremy Grant a ton of money uh, over the offseason. And then they're going to, are they going to also pay OG? But I think just from a talent perspective, you know, getting back him as a centerpiece, whether that's somebody you keep long-term or you flip him at the deadline for one of those insane packages of four first round picks that Masai turned down at the deadline or whatever else he had the opportunity to like you could get you know you could get some value from it that way if you're going to decide it's not a long-term fit I'm 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 not sure but I would think unless unless Masai you know had suddenly has a change of heart and says oh yeah fine we'll include Scotty Barnes Mm -hmm. I think OG would have to be the piece yeah I I think like look things been on the market and this situation has been made very public and very aware you know, as you mentioned, since basically after you guys used a number three pick uh, in, over in Portland uh, instead of trading it, right? And of course, I think that is a sensible decision, yes. especially from from Portland's perspective. But that was sort of what tipped them over, or at least maybe the last straw, or what I'm sure it would be characterized that way. Um, I would so, agree with that. And right. it wasn't, and it wasn't about Scoot. It was about them using the pick. Exactly right. That's uh, the thing. It's like because Damon Scoot actually have a good relationship. There's this great. Mm. Uh, Okay. Mirren Fader from the Ringer had a great profile of Scoot back in last fall, like right after those two games against Wamby that like got everybody's attention. She did like a deep dive profile of him. And there, one of the parts of that piece was that he had reached out to Dame when he was still in high school, like for advice mm-hmm. about, about like taking clutch shots or something like that. And Dame responded and they were talking and like DMing on Instagram and like, nice. like Dame and Scoot have a good relationship. So it wasn't like a, Oh, Dame hates Scoot. And that's why he wants to be traded or Dame doesn't think Scoot it's good is good. It's that he specifically said, I don't want to play with more 19 year olds. And then they drafted a 19 year old who plays the same position as him. And, yeah. you know, and I've been, I've been saying the entire time since this whole thing started, I don't really blame and I don't want to like to go spend too much time relitigating all sure, of this yeah. because we've all done it a million times, but I don't really think anybody did anything wrong here. I understand why Joe looked at the trade market and decided, you know, especially once the pick moved up to three, because if it's the fifth That's pick and you're thing. trading, like right. if you're trading, if, if, if it's like, for, so first of all, if they'd gotten the number one pick, Dane would be good. Like he would have been cool with playing with Wemby. <laughs> yeah, like that would right. have been an exception to the no 19 year olds thing. I have that on pretty good authority. Yeah. But once the pick moves up to three, if you have the fifth pick or the sixth pick and you're trading like Anthony Black or Jarris Walker for one of these, you know, Siakam or whoever, that's fine. You can do that. But once the pick moves high enough to be scoot, it's like you, you can't trade that pick for like Brandon Ingram mm-hmm. or somebody yeah. like that. Like you just like you like you can't do that. So I don't blame Joe for not doing that. And I also don't blame Dame for feeling a certain way about them not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes so, life makes a decision for you. And th- this is what happened in this case. And, and Portland obviously, you know, did luck out uh, thanks to um, some very diligent uh, tanking efforts. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the other part of it that didn't really sit well with Dame was they he didn't want to sit out at the end of the season. That was that was definitely one of those. Like, he didn't when, want to like sit out they, in one of the best years of his career. Well, he right. He, he was having arguably the best season of his career. And, yeah. la- you know, last week when the league put out those new player participation rules, one of the rules was no long-term shutdowns of star players who were are healthy. And the two yeah. teams that they were targeting with that, one was Portland and what they did with Dane. The other was Dallas and what they did with Luka at the end of the year. But that was exactly the kind of thing that the league is trying to get rid of. And Dame was not happy about uh, that, you know, that decision. He wanted to play. 
yeah. and he wanted to still try to make the playoffs. But, and I think he was kind of felt, you know, that he felt like they convinced him in part so that they could get a better draft pick to trade. And then I think they then, I don't think that was ever like there, you know, there are people out there who think that was like a secret plot that, you know, Joe did, you know, it was hatching to get him to ask out and to purposely I mean, lie to him or whatever. I don't think that was ever the case. I think they had every intention of trading the pick for more of a win now guy. And then the pick moves up to three right? and they see what the market is. And they realize, you know, we cannot trade this pick. It would be irresponsible to trade this pick. Yeah, you get uh, by that tanking process. I'll always remember it because every time there's a tank job, there's always one guy that kind of is the face of it. And and I think there were multiple options for Portland's case because I think the situation was that you know they were signing guys that like were in the in the G League, but like not even like firmly in the rotation sometimes. And guys, you know, it wasn't exactly like okay, we've signed the, the G League All Stars and we're giving them a chance. It was like some of the secondary guys, and then uh-huh. just just a lot of like somebody named Jonathan Williams. I feel like it, it might be Jonathan. Yep. Is it Gina? Yeah, that's, that's it... close. They, people call him Nate. People call him Nate. Okay. But, but for me, I was just like, his name is jeans. And um, it, he was just <laughs> playing like 50 minutes a game. And every time I looked at the box score involving Portland, I was just like, wow, this is, you know, I think game 82, I think it was, uh, I think Golden State needed to win, I think to avoid. Yeah. And it was, a, it was like a 55 point blow. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, it was, get, right. it was getting to the point where like, even like Shade and Sharp was being shut down with like a fake calf injury or right. something. Yeah. So in any case, the Portland situation is really interesting. But yeah, moving back to the just the, the conversation between Toronto and them. So, I mean, if, if you were Joe Cronin, is there a version of this of, of a Dame trade where Dame goes to Toronto, um, but you don't receive Scotty or I mean, let's just put, put Pascal. It's just Pascal's not a really suitable return. I don't it, think Pascal would be a factor here. If you were Joe Cronin, would you accept a deal from Toronto that didn't involve Scotty? If OG was in it, I think they, I think he would. Okay, so it'd be like OG plus because yeah, because obviously it, have, it, it wouldn't it would just have to be, be one plus. Guy. Like probably, you know, I don't know. Like you, you know, I, Grady Dick isn't somebody they brought in for a workout because I don't think they were really looking at him no. in the number three range. But I don't know. Like, what, like, what's your what's your thought on him? What's your what's the scouting report on him? That could I could see that being like a in lieu of an extra first round pick, I could see that being because I mean, I think they would probably want at least a couple sure. like a pick or two, but I could see that being like, you know, Walker Kessler was like, I mean, in the same vein as like, if they do end up doing a deal with Miami, I think they would probably ask for Jaime Jaquez, their mm-hmm. number yeah. 18 overall pick. So I think Grady Dick would be one of the you know pieces they would ask for. The other piece of this also is the Phoenix stuff. Yes. Because okay, so my... My understanding is that as it sits right now, whatever deal Portland does with Dane, the Nurkic Aiton thing is likely to be folded into it as a three okay. or four team thing. Okay. So it could be a situation, let's say it ends up being to Toronto. It could be a situation where like, and I guess if you're Phoenix, I personally don't really understand this from Phoenix's perspective, unless they just are so done with Aiden that they want to move on. They just see Nurk as a defensive, you know, stopper, man. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, yeah. Portland's defense with, with with Nurk in the middle has been excellent the last few years. I think the I, I think I think the motivation for Phoenix here would be that yeah. you want to, you know, you they're, they're so there's their roster is so top heavy because right now they have four guys basically on max deals, and then the other eleven guys on their roster are vet min guys. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think if you're them, you take Aiton's money, which is like thirty two million, and you use that to instead to trade that for two, you know, rotation guys. And so yeah. is that a situation where like, you know, 
Aiton would go to Portland and then Nurk goes to Phoenix and then Gary Trent instead of going to Portland as salary would then go to Phoenix and then like okay that's another like actual guy you have in your rotation and a you know another another guy you can shoot and like that like that that would be kind of the the construction of it that I understand but I'm 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 pretty the only thing that I've like heard consistently through this whole thing is that is that the Nurkic Aiden thing I think has a pretty good shot of being part of whatever the deal is right and I believe to to make that math work I think it was like you need essentially like a 16 to 18 million dollar like cap number to slide in uh going to Phoenix in addition yeah. to and so that's where the fish. Gary Trant piece I think would go yeah in. and and also OG would fit in, in that kind of slide and I, and I do remember this is like just uh just going off of memory like there was there was I think some reported interest I think between Phoenix and Toronto involving those specific players at the deadline again Toronto had so many conversations with everybody you know, so and and they were like, we're gonna sell this guy and this, and we're gonna move this and this and the, and then ultimately they, they bought instead. But regardless, somebody I know who's dealt with Toronto's front office that yeah. I talked to this week called Masai, the guy in your fantasy league who offers five trades a week and then cancels them at the last minute before you can decide whether to accept them or not. Interesting, interesting. Um, he he he, he does give off some of that vibe. I think Bobby is sort of like the, you know, he. <laughs> Good because like a, a good cop, bad cop thing where yeah, Bobby is like a little cop. more a, amenable to doing stuff, and then Masai at the last minute backs out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that way Masai retains the the power. I think uh, to to walk in and out of rooms and stuff like that. Um, but regardless, uh, I, I think yeah, it, it'll be interesting because I, I'm not I'm curious to know what you think about OG because the, you know there was this discussion that um, Mikael Bridges, I think he went on uh, Paul George's podcast. And and he talked about that's the other guy Dame really wanted. Mikel Bridges, oh yeah, for sure. Or, and that's or, a guy or, I think Portland would have traded the third pick for, but Dame, but Brooklyn wasn't interested. No, that's is my understanding. That's fair, but the you know I think the the thinking there, and, I, and Paul asked Mikel, is like you know who's the next guy who you know um, is in a situation where they're currently playing a role, but given a bigger opportunity can expand. And the same way that Mikel Bridges when he was in Phoenix was mostly three and D, three and D plus. But, you mm-hmm. know, solid, really good starter and then goes to, uh, you know, Brooklyn and then ends up scoring 30 plus like all the time. And Mikel's answer on this was OG Anobi. And it'd be kind of curious in terms of like our teams looking at OG in terms of acquiring him like he's the next Mikel Bridges situation where you buy in at a role player level of price. But at the same time, when you get them and give them more opportunity, they become a star player because obviously Mikel Bridges is value right now after what he's done in Brooklyn is totally different than what his value was coming out of Phoenix. So, I mean, I'm curious to see, like, do you see OG as sort of in that Mikel Bridges to be? I could see them viewing him as that, especially, you know, to have, a you know, more, you know, you know, in the first week, uh, you know, or the first, or the first year rather of, of, you know, trying to develop, develop Scoot and put, you know, stuff around Scoot. As much as, you know, you can make the argument that, oh, yeah, they need to tank for another few years and just be as bad as possible. I feel like it would be better for Scoot's development if you put actual good NBA players around him mm-hmm. for him to play with. Sure. And I think that's going to make him better in the long run. But I I could see it. The, the, the problem is then, you know, if you're Portland, like you got to pay him next year or not pay him. And then you let walk the guy that is, was the centerpiece that you got back in the Dame trade. So... That's the only part of it that I am a little bit, I would be a little bit iffy on, but from a talent standpoint, I think that's the type of guy that, I mean, you've seen what teams have been offering for OGs. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Messiah's turned down. Like he clearly has 
a lot of value. Let me ask you this. Like sure. you, you may know more about this than I would, but what was up with him leaving clutch for CAA? Because Portland, you know, most organizations are either clutch organizations or CAA organizations. Sure. Yeah, okay. And Portland is a clutch organization because they, you know, Nurkic is a clutch guy. They did his deal. Jeremy's a clutch guy. They did his deal. Chauncey Billups is a clutch guy with their coaching division, Andy Miller. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, so they have a history with clutch. So I'm, I'm very interested in just how that, like, what, like, what was that about? Was that, was that like, he's getting ready for, you know, to be a free agent in a year or like, he wasn't happy that, you know, clutch wasn't able to get him somewhere where he could have a bigger role. What was that about? Cause I'm, I'm actually curious about that. Yeah, I, look, I, I don't have. I, admittedly, I don't have the strongest insight on this one, but I think um, Toronto. If if you were looking in that perspective, Toronto definitely had a very strong clutch presence last season. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year, for example, uh, Fred VanVleet joined Clutch. He left his agency earlier, I think, in December, uh, and officially joined Clutch. Uh, saw Rich Paul in the building a couple times, um, no doubt, on behalf of Fred. Uh, you know, you saw that Gary Trent Jr., who he's been with Clutch for a while. Um, you know, he yeah, he, he was, was with back when he was in Portland, he was with Clutch, yeah. Right, right, right. Um, OG was was also with Clutch. Um, and and the uh, Nick Nurse was was also with Clutch. Oh, I'm mean, yeah, he... division. Uh Christian Coloco was also, you know, with Clutch as well. Uh, although, you know, obviously that's that's sort of smaller, I don't think that's like a factor. Fish. Really. Yeah, yeah. But regardless, you had the head coach and you had three starters who were with clutch last year. Now I think with OG, the interesting thing was um, he had always been with the same agent with Omar Wilkes. Um, and prior to that, I think he was I forget what octagon or something like that, but um, Omar. Yeah, I think clutch. yeah. And so OG just stuck with Omar. And so he went over to clutch and then Omar has, I think left to, to head up something at fanatics. So he's out of the agency game as, 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 as I understand it. And so OG was, just I guess looking for the next kind of opportunity and I think that it it was interesting with that too because I I never really got the sense that like and and this is again just purely just my sense on this is just like I didn't see a lot of like clutch presence around OG in the way that like I would see clutch representatives come to Toronto for like Gary's events you know I you know did some KFC activation with them in the offseason or in during the summertime Uh, oh we have an update from Shams I was going to say, my heart skipped a beat, and I see... Rodney Magruder is finalizing a deal with the Golden State Warriors. Oh, Lord. that's actually kind of hilarious. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> did, did, yeah, he had that beef with Draymond. Remember, Draymond was like, ain't nobody scared of no Rodney Magruder, and now he's I on the Golden so. State Warriors? Oh, I think that's great. so. I just, I just love that we're so on edge uh, oh, yeah. about this, and then we get these updates like Rodney Magruder, or like Woj had one about half an hour ago about the... Uh, Gerson the, Rosas? Uh, about yeah, Gerson was... Rosas, which Neil Olshay has to be looking at that and thinking that he's got some hope to get back in the game at some yeah. point. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. The, uh, the, the Gerson Rosas thing was interesting because, I mean, um, yeah, there was definitely some improper conduct um, because I believe he had some, like, relations with uh, yeah. some of his subordinates but when i was at summer league he was all around the knicks like just you know walking well, around he's been like kind time. of behind yeah. the scenes actually calling a lot yeah. of shots for i was I, I heard that he was like leading the negotiations on the donovan mitchell stuff that didn't right end up happening right. but he's had a voice there for a while i guess they they you know good for him I mean, you know, honestly, the NBA is just really cliquey. That's just my outside opinion of it. It's just oh, like that's guy, not even an outside opinion. That's... And then they just continue to work together no matter what. Like literally no matter what. It's like, oh, you got into trouble here and like you should really be reprimanded. Like, no, actually just come over to this side. Cause yeah, I mean, Isaiah uh, Thomas is like unofficially calling shots in Phoenix with Matt Ishbia now. Yeah. 
Right, right, for sure. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah, with the OG thing, it was just like, I, I I didn't see as many like clutch people around for for OG. So, I mean, you know, maybe he wasn't that tied into the agency or, um, again, I'm, I can't really speak to why he's, he, he chose to go with CAA instead of just like remaining with clutch. Uh, but yeah, that, that was my sense of it. But I mean, I, I'm, I, I, it's OG is interesting because he's not a guy who, first off, he, he famously loves to not say anything during interviews. By the way, we have an interview coming up with OG uh, Media Day. Maybe I'll ask him then. Uh, I, I don't expect anything other than a political answer at that point in terms of changing agencies. Uh, but he will be joining our free agency show in about a week. So that's something to announce. But he famously is OG very quiet. Yes, he will. Well, I mean, what uh, if listen. he's not? What if he's traded? If he's traded, I, I feel like, you know, we should just get whoever he's traded for to come on the program instead. I mean, if it's Dame Lillard on the Raptor show, that'd be kind of sick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, OG's very, very quiet about these things. He's very hidden. And so when you do hear these reports um, where it's like, you know, he wants a bigger role, he wants to have more touches. Um, he actually, it does the opposite of the Dame approach. You know, he's not on random podcasts. And then it's just kind of like, yeah, man, I wish I had 30 shots, you know, but like, <laughs> yeah, to me, I, I think he has ability and i guess no one has fully ever given him that chance to like just be the number one guy but i think the similarity to mikhail bridges was that like mikhail had some games where devin booker was missing for like a week or two um maybe even a month or two in the last couple of seasons and in those times he was able to scale up his production and it's kind of similar with with og where it was like when pascal would miss some time and he missed like about two weeks two or three weeks in the last two seasons um, in those times, OG would step up his production and he would get over like 20 points a game, for example. Efficiency wise was still kind of up and down. Like he would have some really good ones and you have some really down ones. I think that was natural though, like just to see a guy who isn't a featured player step into a future role. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, that gave him a bigger taste of like what it would look like um, if he were more of a featured player. But yeah, that's a longer spiel with OG, but he's a bit of a mystery, you know, in, in general. So. And if he goes to a team like Portland that's rebuilding and not trying to contend, it could be kind of a similar situation to yeah. where McHale found himself exactly. in yeah. Brooklyn, where, you know, once they traded away KD and Kyrie, they're obviously not a contender anymore. And so they kind of gave him the reins to, and obviously he wouldn't be like the number one guy in Portland because they're trying to turn the whole team over to Scoot now. But, you know, I don't think Scoot would hate having a guy that can shoot to pass right. the ball to. Well, the thing with OG that's good, on D. he's not a ball dominant kind of player, right? So it'll be <laughs> a little bit, even in Mikel in, in, in Brooklyn, like he his touches went up, but it's not like Mikel Bridges has the ball all the time and he's suddenly become Luca or James Harden. Like he's still a guy who knows how to play on and off the ball, plays a lot in transition as well, still is at a high level defensively. Um, but when you need him to create a little bit more, he was able to do that. I think for me, that's a bit of a question with OG just because if he does end up in Portland, we get to see it firsthand. But, you know, the, you know, uh, the handling and things like that, he's just not very good off the dribble at all, um, kind of loses his balance and all the kind of things like that. And I'm not totally sure if that's just completely fixable with a bigger role. Um, but, you know, hey, listen, uh, I, I think everyone get, definitely sees the potential in him. He's, they see that he's already an excellent starter. And if he can make that star level jump, this is a good opportunity to sort of get him at a good time. The only, I guess the only thing is just like, are you willing to do you think Portland is willing to pay? what og would what would would you know fetch it because if you had a really great year this year i mean he he's up for you know close to a max contract next summer yeah that's gonna be the interesting part i mean that we kind of you kind of saw it this past uh off season they kind of uh you know when they traded for jeremy grant a mm -hmm. year ago it was done with the understanding that it wasn't going to be a one-year rental right right and of course, it was also done under the impression that Damian Lillard was going to be a part of the 
group, you know, long-term because that was a guy that Dane pushed for and wanted. And then even, you know, I, they, 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 they gave him the new deal before Dame asked out, but you know, I think, I think that was going to happen either way mm-hmm. because I think they felt like, Hey, you have to give that money to somebody. If you're rebuilding, you have to at least get to the salary floor and you also can't have zero veterans on the team. Yeah, You have course. to at least have a couple of, you know, older guys. And Jeremy's a guy, at least being around him last year and being around the, you know, the, in the locker room, he's a guy that everybody really likes personally mm-hmm. and is a good dude. And is like, a you know, yeah. Somebody that guys like having around. And so even if they oh, he's the same way, by the way, really good. Okay, dude. All, all the teammates always really like him. And he works really, really hard. And he's shown the cruel, the cruel cool. irony of this is yeah. that OG is Dame's boy. And that's a guy that he's really <laughs> wanted. He's yeah. one of the guys that Dame has pushed for. He pushed for him, you know, last year on draft night and, you know, at different, at different points, he's pushed for, uh, for, for Dane, for, for OG. So, and then, you know, Portland finally gets him and it's because they traded for, they traded him for Dane. Yeah. Well, that would, that's, I mean, that's the business though. That's how this works sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'm just taking that to, you know, you, you mentioned like, you know, Dame wanted to play with OG and, and Dame, you know, pushed for, 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 for Grant. And I'm just like, I, I'm just taking that to mean Dame wants, you know, to play with six, nine players, in which case the Raptors have like, you know, a million of them. Uh, this Say is this how... for Dame. Dame is not like like there have been oh, some players. If this deal gets made, I will pitch him. That, I, will, I will pitch him. There have been some players that have like tried to have influence on personnel decisions and have not been very good at it. Mm-hmm. Like you look yeah. at like some of the stuff that LeBron is like like LeBron pushing for the Westbrook trade, which everybody could see was going to be a disaster. Yeah, Dame has good taste in players he wants to play mm-hmm. with. Like Jeremy Grant. Ball, huh? All right, Jeremy Grant was a good fit next to Dame. OG would be a good fit next to Dame. Uh, Mikhail Bridges is another guy that he wanted right. to be a good fit next to Dame. Yeah. A few years ago when they traded uh, Norm uh, Gary Trent from Norm Powell, the guy that Dame wanted them to use that package to get was Aaron Gordon. That so, would have been great. That yeah, would've it would have been. Really been. Great. Yeah. Neil wouldn't do it because Neil thought that he couldn't play with Robert Covington, who he had just traded two first round picks for, but that's a, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Okay. So Portland but, is very, Portland's very messy. Is my but, understanding but of this. Yeah. The, po- the point being Dame, yeah, when sure. Dame, you know, comes, goes to front office, he, Dame doesn't like get, get into like mandating, Oh, you have to go get this guy or you have to go yeah. get that guy, but he does give his opinion. And Dame has, as I said, Dame has a good, awareness of what kinds of players are good for like like yeah, there is a reason those like, all the, sound like good ideas like those were not bad oh, names, right but... and honestly you understand why he wants to go to miami because jimmy and bam are like two perfect guys for him to play with mm-hmm. like no, that's he, he has a good sense of awareness of like these are the kinds of guys i want i want my team to go get these kinds of guys and he has pretty good taste in players yeah in that fair. way that's fair um i wanted to ask you actually just Kind of two more things. Now, number one, I think it's just on the Portland's perspective. So, um, yeah, like, can you describe to me, like, what what is Portland's brain trust? Like, who who are the decision makers in the room? Uh, Joe Cronin's the general manager, and he has okay. three. He he's so he's been with the organization since two thousand and six. Okay, he started as an intern under Kevin Pritchard, and then he was there through the Rich Cho brief tenure and then there was that that, that year where they didn't have a general manager and then they hired neil olshay in 2012 and then when neil got fired last december uh joe was kind of the longest tenured guy in the front office that predated neil and they were kind of trying to complete you completely clean house of anybody associated with neil Mm -hmm. so he kind of got promoted into the job permanently and then since then he has built out uh a front office staff 
with outside hires where he hired okay. uh his three assistant general managers are Mike Schmitz, who's the former, you know, ESPN right. draft guy. And then Andre Patterson, who was with the uh I believe he was with the Cavs before that. But he's a, like he played he played in the NBA for like a minute, but then he had like a really long career overseas. Sure. Yeah. But he's guys. a he's a I don't know him that well, but he's a good guy. And then Sergey Oliva, who was in the front office in he's 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 from spain mm-hmm. and he's in he was in the front office in philadelphia and then he was on quinn snyder's staff in utah okay and he's kind of more of an analytics background type of guy that's kind of the though that's kind of like the main power structure the ownership situation with them is is pretty interesting though because that's yeah. uh i was gonna ask you that next actually what, what what's, that, what's ownership like because obviously you know <laughs> they were owned by uh paul allen yeah paul allen for a long time but then he passed away and so uh, his wife his sister Jody is currently the trustee. She doesn't own the team. She is the trustee of the Paul Allen Trust, which all of his okay. assets are held in. Okay. And the two people at the top that are making those decisions are her and Bert Cold, who's the vice chair of Vulcan, who was Paul Allen's college roommate and has kind of been his right hand guy or was his right hand guy, like right up until he passed away for you know thirty years. Okay. So he's still in the mix. Uh, it's it the ownership stuff is interesting because it says in the Paul Allen trust and I have not seen the trust sure okay but it does say in the trust that at some point all of his assets he has and he owns the Blazers and he owns the Seattle Seahawks those are mm-hmm. the two sports teams that he owns but he also owned like he had a bunch of super yachts he had multiple right. super yachts which have been sold he had a They're bunch basically of real like, estate like aircraft carrier level yeah exactly yeah, like yeah there's all these crazy assets that he has there's this, sure, there's yeah. this iconic there's this like historic movie theater in seattle called cinerama that he owned that was sold all of his assets have to be sold and all of the money from the sales have to go to charity that's what's laid wow. out in the trust okay and but there's no timeline, at least that I know of, that or that okay. has been made public for when they have to be sold by, just that they have to be sold at some point. So there's not a sell-by date that I know of. Is there a strong incentive? Like, you know, because you know what I mean? Like a lot of these owners in, in the NBA, like like a Mark Cuban, for example, like these guys really enjoy the active process of owning the team. Then there's that, uh-huh. ac- you know, aspect of it. Like, for example, Matt Ishbia in Phoenix, I'm sure he's very much enjoying owning the team. Yeah. There's Steve the other aspect. Yeah, Balmer, right? There's the other aspect was like, okay, we're going to hold on to this. It's a good financial value. And in the right time, we'll move off of it, right? Um, that is probably, you know, the other aspect. Uh, I'm sure there's an element of both towards every single group. But primarily, if you want to divide it in that kind of group, like, does Jody Allen or the, the right-hand man, like you're mentioning here, like, do they specifically enjoy owning the, the Blazers? Or is that like a desire from them? Or is it more like you know, we'll figure out a good time to to let go of this thing as a financial property. Bert Cole, I think, really likes being involved in stuff. Okay. I don't know Jody at all. I have never met sure. her. Okay. Okay. I I have never like she has never made herself available to the media. Like I've never I've mm. I've never I've never had any kind of interaction with Jody. Got you. Got I, you. I don't okay. know. Right. I don't know her at all. So I can't speak to this. I will say this though. She was at a lot of games towards the end of the season when they were tanking. She was She's still a big Jonathan Williams fan, man. Maybe she is. Maybe she is. I don't know. I can't really speak to it. What I think my I think my yeah. best understanding of uh where you know where where they're at is kind of this. I think you know because again when they sell the team, mm-hmm. she is not going to get to keep any of the money from selling the team because it's going right. to go to charity because that's what's laid out in Paul Allen's trust. So my understanding is that she's trying to hang on until 2025 
when the league's new TV deal kicks in, because then she gets her piece of the TV money. Yeah, it makes total sense. And then you cash out after that. I, especially, I think, I think when teams, I believe when the NBA expands as well, and it seems like very much the NBA's yeah, order business, they want to That's going to happen. As soon, it's done. Seattle and Vegas, like that's already, okay. the, like those have right. been decided as the two cities are going to go to next, Seattle and Vegas. So, so when you... When you have the TV deal done, the expansion comes in. When the expansion happens, don't they buy into the league? So everyone gets to share that expansion money. So it's another incentive to like hold on to your team. So you get a share of that, you know, new owner money to buy into the league. And then afterwards, it makes more sense to sell. You yeah, know? that's kind of that's that's what the thought process is. And right. Adam Silver was asked about it last week at his board of governors meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh he basically said that i mean he didn't say this in these words but he basically said like there's nothing he can do about it right to force a sale right and the only like we know that phil knight wants to buy the team and i think that jody and burt very much don't want to sell the team to phil knight because they have not liked the way that phil knight has planted certain stories in the media to Mm. force their hands i don't think they like that very much yeah Loving this uh, Pacific Northwest version of uh, Succession that we're... It's <laughs> really what right it here. is. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's, that's he's, really he's what Gojo. it is. Phil Knight as, uh, as Alexander Skarsgård. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess the other question I was going to ask, and this is probably the easiest thing. I probably should ask you this at the top, but um, I, I, I think maybe, especially when, like, a fan base discusses a player acquiring a player and like, you know, it doesn't sound, you know, you hear like, Oh, maybe he doesn't want to come to Toronto and it's going to cost you all these players. And then people just get in their heads of like, this guy, like, it's not worth it. Like this guy's, you know, not that it sucks, but this is so much like baggage that comes along with it. So I just want to ask you like, um, having covered Dame up close, how good was Dame this past season? This was the best season he's ever had when he was healthy. And okay. he was mostly healthy. He had a couple of stretches in November where he missed some time with a calf thing. Okay, but yeah, the yeah, time yeah. that he missed later on in the season was, you know, Tankish. shenanigans. That yeah. wasn't yeah. that wasn't him actually being injured. But yeah, he was arguably the best offensive player in the league this year. He would have made first team All NBA if he had played more games. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, he and I and I also. You know, I think I think he would be awesome in Toronto. I don't know if it would be right. like make them title favorites, but yeah, I mean, this is but kind that's of not been the bar whole... for every deal. No, like, it's not. That's the, like... that's the thing that frustrates me about all of these talks. It's like anytime somebody trades for anybody, people get so caught up in like the contract or the age or what. It's like yeah. maybe you want to trade for a good basketball player. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that like you know, it's it's interesting because his age gets brought up a lot, and obviously he's on a big contract. I, I don't think for a moment that. Damian Lillard over the course of his career has not been worth whatever the Portland Trailblazers are paid for him that season. Uh-huh. Maybe one season when he was kind of injured, but that's nothing that he can really do. That was his fault or anything like that. And that was an injury that the the, the 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 ab injury was something he's been playing through for four years that he finally got addressed. Right, right, and you're and that was the that was the 2011, 2012, or 20, uh, 2021, 2022. Because remember, he was terrible yeah. in the Olympics because he was playing through that stuff. And then yeah. the first part of that season, he was having the worst year of his career. And yeah. then he got that surgery, missed the rest of the season, and then you saw he came back last year and had arguably the best year he's ever had. Yeah. So you could tell that that was really like a sign that he needed that surgery. But yeah. other than that, he's been pretty durable. That was insane. Like. When you look through his game logs, it's like, obviously, we're going back to the rookie season, but 82 games, 82 games, 82 yeah. games, 75, yeah. 75, 73, 80, 66, and that was a shortened season. So that's actually the whole season, I believe. 67, uh, and then 58 this past season with some tanking. Like, it, it's 
it doesn't necessarily, I guess my point is it doesn't like, it's not like, okay, I'm seeing decline already and you're buying into decline. Like I, when you think decline, you're projecting it based on um, where his age is and also, you know, that's just that. But it, it's not actually like you're buying into a declining player. You're actually buying into a player who's still at the peak of his of his production. And again, his production this past season is like excellent. It, it's uh, so, I mean, I could totally see the fit. And again, to me, I, I'm already on record. I said this last week, but um, yeah, if Toronto can find a way to get this deal done without including Pascal or Scotty. Um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of for it. Like personally, I don't think it's that wise for t- the Toronto's as a fit for Toronto to, to, to sign OG to a, the max extension next year or something close to the max, which is, I think what it's probably going to have to be. Um, and I'd rather give that money to Dame. Um, and yeah, I don't think it makes the Raptors like clear cut championship contenders, um, in the East or even just in the league overall, but the East is kind of weak and he addresses one of the, he addresses the Raptors main problem. And he's also an amazing closer, which the Raptors, I swear to God, they lost like 15 games last year unnecessarily because they couldn't get any offense down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that Dame is going to hit every shot in the crunch time, but you know. Uh, I definitely see not the worst guy in the world to have on your team for those situations. Yeah. Yeah. Two guys, a man with two game seven or not game seven, I guess, but two series clinching uh, threes. Yeah. um, A decade apart, but still that. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if you've considered what's coming out of Miami, the, you know, the, the, my, the Miami media spin of like, Oh, why would anybody else besides Miami want to trade for him? He has such a bad contract. Oh, okay. That's been that. That's been one of their, talking points i believe that's bargaining in the uh the the, the you know we're really doing you a favor agreed. by trading for him and for for scraps of course of course if you really yeah. look at it like you shouldn't well, even want him yeah i mean I, that's the that's the funny thing too it's just like i don't know what miami specific approach with this but it definitely seemed like you know if miami like miami seemed like it was in the driver's seat just because obviously dame said they wanted to go there and but it, it, they haven't really acted as if, at least basis, but based on the reporting, it's just like. Well, I I understand they why they're acting like, like they, hey, we want to give you the everything only bidder, to make this happen. They've they kind of the, been like, they, eh, you know, yeah, yeah. If they think they're the only bidder, they should. They feel like they don't have to give up their best assets, which I mean, I don't think even their best stuff is that good. But mm-hmm. that's you yeah. know something I don't really feel like litigating again. But that's fair. That's fair. Well, all right. Well, Sean, you know this was great. Um, you know, we'll see if this actually goes through. Um, but you know, if we uh, if we do get Dame, you know, I think there was like a brief like, you know, who's actually we the North? Is it Portland or Toronto? Just based on the, <laughs> I think <laughs> latitude. Um, yeah. but no, seriously, we will we'll take care of our fellow uh, you know, 49th parallel brother. So, you know, uh, if he does come here, you know, we will take good care of him. I know they'll be kicking and screaming. I know Aaron Goodwin uh was Demar's agent, and obviously, you know, yeah, towards the end of the Demar relationship kind of ended abruptly. There's a reason that there's been the so bridge. much coming out about why Dane does not want to go to Toronto. Demar is one of Dane's best friends. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So yeah, well, you know, hey, listen, um, you know, I think Demar can say that. The ending wasn't great, but he absolutely loved his time here. So, I mean, you know, that, that I think that aspect also comes into it. Now, of course, it's not great, but by all accounts, Messiah and, and, and Damar have at least made up, you know, yeah. Think, yeah, made up to an extent. You know what I mean? Like you, you can make up with somebody you break up with. They're, they're yeah. not going to be like, you know, friendly, but, you know, they're, they're good. Um, but in any case, that's, you know, I feel like the agents can only do so much, you know what I mean? Like you can kick well, and scream, especially uh, when it's happening. When it, the also, when you ask for a trade, with, what, what can you do? When you ask for a trade to one destination with four years left on your contract, like there's only so much you can control. That's correct. That is correct. 
Um, like, so, well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe this is another nothing burger. You know, Masai has. It could uh, be. Masai does have a wicked pump fake. You know, speaking of Demar, <laughs> he, he's he's like Demar with that pump fake. You know, you never know. We make all these podcasts about Kevin Durant and and, and Damian Lillard, and, and Photoshop gets all these subscriptions of uh, players getting you know photoshopped into that Raptors chevron. But you know, eventually we might still have the same team, and we might be talking about you know Dennis Schroeder potentially starting at point guard. And that's a wholly different conversation than this one. But Sean, I appreciate yeah. you coming on the program once again. Uh, where can people find you and your work? Because, uh, you know, you to me, you are definitely the guy to go to in Portland to find out everything that's going on there. And it, even in the course of our conversation, it seems like a very, very messy and interesting place. It It's it's not dull. I'll tell you that. I appreciate you saying that, Will. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your work as well. I, you know, Alex, I've known for over 10 years. That's my guy. That's my OG. I know he's not that's here right. today. I, I know you are OG Stephen LeBron radio. Like, oh, not, you know not the it. most recent one. Like we're talking no, the original one. Yeah, when he was having like Zach Lowe on, when you could yeah, still yeah. get Zach Lowe on your Mia podcast, Kimes, you know, like yeah, yeah, but yeah. but anyway, Al- Alex yeah, peaked in uh, 2014. Sorry. Oh yeah, but the uh, uh, but to to answer your question, just go to rosegardenreport.com. It's kind of a paid Substack type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's you know pretty comprehensive coverage of the Trailblazers. The podcast, same name. That's just free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, all the usual platforms. Right. Cool. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely, you know, highly recommend that because, uh, I mean, no matter what happens out of Portland after this, like, I, I'm still going to be very, very curious because that uh, there's a lot of a lot of variables there and also a lot of very promising talent. You know, you want to hear about what Shaden Sharp is doing as one of the most, you know, promising up and coming Canadian talents. Like, by the way, I saw Shaden Sharp earlier this summer. He came to Toronto for like a, a, the ball don't stop run. Um, shouts mm-hmm. to shouts to Ekum. You know, you know, everyone knows Ekum. Uh, who you are, the one dribble pull up, your the you know your two dribble pull up, we are at the elbow, et cetera, et cetera. But um, yeah, he he puts on a great uh, you know pro run here in Toronto. Um, and I was there last summer, so this summer as well. He got Shane Sharp to come out. My goodness, I can't believe you see that level of athleticism on a daily basis because there was one play where he he didn't even get the dunk to drop, but his head was like, he was like like it's like nose was looking down at the rim kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like the most effortless bounce. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously we're going to be, especially as Canadian fans, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing how he progresses in the NBA over in Portland. So, yeah, yeah. I'm very curious how Shea, I mean, I think Scoot's going to be fine. Scoot's going to be awesome. Oh, I yeah, think people yeah, are really excited about him. But Shea, I think, really started to click the last half of the year. Right, yeah. And I'm very curious to see how that continues. I yeah. think he might still be a couple years away from being as good as people think he's going to be. But I'm, that's fair. I'm he had very, a quiet I'm summer very... league. I felt like I was like a little yeah. bit underwhelmed in summer league when I saw him too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But so the potential is crazy. He also only got to play with Scoot for one half. Yeah. Well, who who'd you guys so. have? There was like a oh, who is this? The backup guard that came in. He was kind of nice too. Michael Devoe. Yeah, yeah, Michael DeBoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just got his rights just got traded to the Salt Lake City Stars for a first round pick in the G League draft, by the way. Wow. So that's why I got to get the Rose Garden report to you see know more it. details like this. All right, Sean, appreciate you for joining us on the program. And uh, yeah, for listeners, I'm actually going to do a little bit of a part two. Uh, but uh, for now, we're going to say goodbye to Sean. And, uh, you know, thanks for all for listening. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wim Liu. Uh, big thanks to uh, Sean once again, Sean Heikin, for coming on the program. Definitely follow him for everything uh, Portland Trailblazers related. Follow his Substack um, and his podcast. It, it's really informative. And, you know, you could tell that Sean has a great passion for this. I know he's been in the blog game for a long time. And, uh, 
yeah, I mean, Portland is definitely a very interesting place, uh, even aside from the uh, from the Dame trade stuff, which obviously that's what everyone's here for right now. But I'm sure we'd be calling Sean quite a bit just to follow up in, in Portland in general. But all this Dame talk definitely got me thinking about the last time I actually tangibly thought about Damian Lillard and the Raptors. Uh, and it's it's a it's a funny story, and it, it's a very funny story. And I actually remember Blake Murphy, um, who, by the way, if people haven't heard, that he's joining the Raptor show also as a full-time co-host. We had him on the program earlier this year or, or last week. Blake, uh, when he was over at The Athletic, actually wrote a story about this. And, and the, the headline of the story is, the unlikely Raptors triple-double that may have cost them Damian Lillard. And this is a story that I'm sure a lot of OG Raptor fans, not even OG, I'm not even talking about like, you know, Marcus Camby-level Raptor fans, uh, which, by the way, Marcus Camby will come up later in this program. Um, I'm not even talking about that era of Raptor fans. I'm talking about just like even my era of like, you know, I, I joined the, uh, I started following the team like probably 2004, 2005 right range. Like I remember this very vividly. Um, but I do think that there's a fair number of newer listeners who, or newer fans who have hopped on sometime in the last decade. Cause 2012 was somehow more than a decade ago now, which makes me feel ancient. But, um, yeah, that might have forgotten this very, very little piece. So again, if you if you want to just read the story over the athletic, it's also really good. You go over there and, and Blake did a great job. Um, but I'm going to tell this story as well because I think that uh, it's very interesting. So I'm going to take you back. It's uh, it's, and, and the whole thing is is involving the Raptors and Damian Lillard. So I'll, I'll get back to that point. Uh, but it, so it starts April 26, 2012. All right, um, you know this is. Uh, at a time where the top three hits of the day, and I just looked this up, the top three radio hits of the day were Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, We Are Young by Fun, uh, and Somebody That I Used to Know by that uh, German band, uh, which I don't know how to pronounce. But anyway, th- those are those were the top songs at that time. So again, like a full decade ago. So the Raptors were 22 and 43 heading into the last day of the regular season. So this was a truncated regular season. NBA had the strike, whatever, they, they, they came back on Christmas Day. They still, you know, tried to pigeonhole in to play, I believe, 66 games. There were games that season where they would play back-to-back-to-backs, like literally three games in, in a row. Uh, so anyway, it, the Raptors were not doing well that season. That's not why the Raptors were trash. The Raptors were just bad. They were 22-43 and 43, heading into the last day of the regular season. And uh, obviously they had already been eliminated and they were playing the New Jersey Nets who also had a 22 and 43 record on the last game of the season, game 66. Now, the teams worse than Toronto at this time in the league were the Charlotte Hornets at 21 and 44, the Sacramento Kings who were also 21 and 44, the Cleveland Cavaliers who were 21 and 44, the Washington Wizards who were 19 and 46. I believe this is the era where like, Andre Blatch was getting a shoe pooped in by uh, by Gilbert Arenas, uh, and and then it was the Charlotte Hornets, uh, or actually no, they weren't even the Hornets; they were the Bobcats at that time. The infamous Charlotte Bobcats season that they were seven and fifty nine. This was that season; they were seven and fifty eight on the last day of the regular season. But anyway, regardless, the Raptors were twenty two and forty three. They had the same record as the New Jersey Nets, who they were playing that day for the last game of the season, and they were also tied with the Golden State Warriors. By the way, uh, they already had Stephen Clay already at the, uh, on the record at this point. But uh, I think Steph was injured and Clay was really new to the team as a rookie. But Golden State was also 23 and 42 heading into the last day of the season. So three teams, Toronto, Golden State, New Jersey with the same record. And of course, at that time, it was just about tanking. Like actually, Brian Colangelo went on to a Sloan Sports uh, Conference later on, uh, a couple years later. And he actually admitted openly that the Raptors were tanking. That's their intention at that season. And so last game of the season, they're playing New Jersey. Now, 
New Jersey had less of an incentive to tank than Toronto just because New Jersey had already traded their pick earlier that year. So, um, you know, t- New Jersey had moved. And this is where, you know, fan of the program, Bobby Marks, uh, who is obviously now at ESPN, does all the great things over at ESPN. He was the assistant GM to Billy King at this time in New Jersey. Uh, they had orchestrated a trade where they traded the, a top three pick in the 2012 draft. So that year's draft for Gerald Wallace to add to the team. And it was interesting because I, I forgot about this detail. The Nets were 15 and 29 at the trade deadline, and they added Gerald Wallace to their group, who, who was having a great season over in Portland, by the way. And he had been had a couple good years in Portland uh, before that. But, uh, yeah, New Jersey had traded their pick because uh, apparently at the time they were going in for D- Dwight Howard, who requested a trade, but then also withdrew that request and chose to stay in Orlando. That was the whole, like, him drinking Diet Pepsi beside uh, Stan Van Gundy, that whole era. Um, so New Jersey was really in on that time. New Jersey was really big on star hunting at that time. They couldn't get Dwight Howard. And so even though they were 15 and 29, they traded for Gerald Wallace, who was an impending free agent, but they were going to re-sign him, and they did re-sign him. And I, and I read this um, note. Uh, this is from ESPN at that time. A, a team source told ESPN.com's Chad Ford the Nets were willing to part with their top three protected pick because there are only three players in the upcoming 2012 NBA draft that the Brooklyn Nets covet. Kentucky's Anthony Davis, uh, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and Kansas's Thomas Robert, uh, Robinson. Those were the only three guys that they actually liked, and so they only put a top three pick protection on it. Anyway, fast forward to the last day of the season. They have the same record as the Raptors. And so both teams have, you know, incentive to tank. I would argue Toronto had a bigger incentive to tank, uh, considering Toronto actually owned their pick and, and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, like, you know, as, as I read earlier, there were multiple teams that were worse than than New Jersey. So most likely New Jersey was going to give up their pick. So even though New Jersey had a slight incentive, but they didn't really have any incentive. Like Toronto had more incentive to play. And so uh, regardless, when it comes to Game 82 and teams are out of the playoffs, like, you know, this is uh, – a time where you play, you know, your end of bench guys, or even you give flyers on guys. And so this is where Ben Uzo comes into play. Now, Ben Uzo actually is in the news recently with Toronto because the, the Raptors have just recently announced uh, this past week that Ben Uzo has officially joined the team as a, as a scout. Um, and so he has joined the front office. So he's actually back in the organization. But back in the day, in 2012, Ben Uzo was a player, and the Raptors had signed Ben Uzo midway through that 2011-2012 season. Uh, he had played in Charlotte on a 10-day deal in 2011. And then in Cleveland, he got a 10-day deal in 2012. And then later that season, he comes to Toronto, signs two 10 days, and gets signed for the rest of the season. Ends up playing 16 games, ends up starting eight of those. And I believe starting the last eight games of those for Toronto. Uh, I mean, our point guards at that time weren't that great. It was like Jose Calderon, and that's basically it. You know, like we had a bunch of other guys who wouldn't even be backup point guards in most situations. So point guard was a weak spot. We bring in Ben Uzo. We want to give him a shot. Um, and so last game of the season, uh, again, game 82 against Brooklyn or against New Jersey, and they need to get the loss. Like it's very imperative that the Raptors successfully lose, not only because they're tanking, but they have the exact same record as uh, New Jersey and also as Golden State. And if the Raptors lost, there was a very real chance the Raptors could go all the way up to the sixth pick uh, if they had lost and, and some other situations went into it. And I think the game, that the players that they played reflected their desire to lose this game. Okay, so uh, on Brooklyn's side of things, this is a classic basketball reference game if I've ever seen one. Their starting five were Jordan Williams, 
who played 39 minutes in 25 seconds, Jordan Williams. I don't have a single recollection of Jordan Williams in my record. Uh, Marshawn Brooks, I remember him, had a bit of a small face. Uh, Gerald Green, Sunday out of Gaines. That's right, that Sunday out of Gaines that infamously, I think, uh, played a part in uh, beating the Big Three Heat, uh, you know, back in the day. Deshaun Stevenson, Johan Petro, Armin Johnson. I, I do not know who that is, but he played 33 minutes and 44 seconds. Gun to my head, if Armin Johnson was an actual NBA player, I I, I really would just panic because I, I do not know. Uh, that's A-R-M-O-N Johnson. Uh, I want to look up his player basketball reference page right now, but uh, he played he played two seasons in the league, 38 games for Portland, uh, and then eight games for New Jersey, Armin Johnson. Wow, I should have asked Sean Hyken if he knew who Armin Johnson was. And then Anthony Morrow. That was the eight players that they dressed. Jordan Williams, Marshawn Brooks, Gerald Green, Sonny Ada Gaines, Deshaun Stevenson, Johan Petro, Armin Johnson, who apparently is real, and Anthony Morrow. Okay. On the Toronto Raptors side of things, we started Ben Uzo at point guard playing 46 minutes, Allen Anderson playing 45 minutes, Ed Davis playing 43 minutes, well, I believe this was a rookie season for Ed Davis um, after he got picked, I think, 12 by Toronto. Uh, James Johnson in his first time around in Toronto. Uh, Jamal McGlore, who I believe this was his last game of the his entire career. Uh, he retired and immediately became a Raptors assistant coach, and he's been that for a very long time until this past summer where he got moved to a different role within the organization. Uh, Gary Forbes, who uh, was the leading score for Toronto with 23 points. He, um, Gary Forbes was involved in the Kyle Lowry trade. That's the only reason I remember Gary Forbes. And then Solomon Alibi, who had 19 rebounds in 40 minutes off the bench. Jamal McGlure played his last game of his career, started, played five minutes, and then he, he dipped out of there. Solomon Alibi played the rest of the minutes at center and got 19 rebounds. Shasta Solomon Alibi, uh, another sort of fringe prospect. Um, but yeah, so Ben Uzo is signed, and, and he's, he's leading this group. And what's interesting was Ben Uzo actually finished this game with a triple-double. The game actually wasn't close. The Raptors, despite their very best efforts to tank, again, their, rec- their lineup was Ben Uzo, Al Anderson, Ed Davis, James Johnson, Jamal McGlure, Gary Forbes, Solomon Alibi. They only played seven guys, right? They sat Jose. They sat DeMar DeRozan. They sat Aaron Gray. They even sat Aaron Gray, all right? They sat Amir Johnson. They sat Linus Klaza. They still won this game by landslide, uh, landslide, 98 to 67, which ruined the Raptors' um, lottery odds. But in that game, Ben Uzo had the infamous triple-double. And I would say infamous partially because of the fact that it wasn't a particularly impressive triple-double. I mean, not only just based on the players and the competitiveness of the specific situation, but it was also the stat line. 6 of 19 from the field for 12 points with 11 rebounds and 12 assists. Um you can't fault him. He played. He was a plus 33 and he played 46 minutes, so credit to him. But, you know, not exactly like a, you know, sterling triple-double. As far as triple-doubles go, 12, 11, and 12 is, is about as low as it can really go to qualify. However, it's infamous because for a long time, and I looked this up just now on, on StatMuse just to be absolutely sure about this, but the Raptors didn't have anybody on a Raptors uniform in a Raptors game put on a triple-double in over a decade, so I actually looked it up. There were the Raptors prior to Ben Uzo's triple double only ever had nine triple doubles as a whole entire franchise before 2012. So we're talking about the Raptors entered the league 1995, 1996. You know, playing at the Sky Dome. David Stoudemire is their first uh, ever draft pick. 
you know, read Prehistoric by Alex Wong. It's going to cover all of it. From 95 to 2012, they only had nine triple doubles, period. Three by Damien, Damon Stoudemire, two by Marcus Camby with blocks, both times with blocks. Very impressive. Saw Marcus Camby actually earlier this summer. Good dude. Still has a Chinese tattoo on his arm. Uh, one by Vince Carter. Only one triple double by Vince Carter. One from Charles Oakley, which I was very impressed by. But yeah, he had triple double with assists from Oak. Mark Jackson had one, right? That, that's right. Uh, with all due respect. You know, like, you know, Mark Jackson, hand down, man down, had a triple-double with the Toronto Raptors. Not many people remember Mark Jackson as a member of the Raptors. And then Alvin Williams had the Raptors' last triple-double in over a decade in 2011. This is a game against the the Atlanta Hawks. And so from 2011, or from 2001 to 2012, the Raptors didn't have a single player record a triple-double until... Ben Uso did it. And, and of course, the Raptors have had a couple since. You know, I think Jose got one. I think Kyle got one. Kyle got a couple. Um, Fred got one. Um, you know, a couple other guys have, have gotten it since then. I don't remember all of them. But, you know, like, it, it's become more of a frequent thing. Uh, but we're talking about for a, a, actually longer than a decade, the Raptors didn't have a triple-double. And then of all people, Ben Uso had one. That also happened to be, by the way, Ben Uso's last game uh, in the NBA. I mean, he was already kind of just on, in and out on 10 days and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but from that point onwards, he went to the D-League. He struggled with injuries. Uh, it went overseas, played in Nigeria, Belgium, France, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. Again, all these details you can find in Blake's story over at The Athletic that he wrote during the pandemic. But, yeah, like that was actually Ben Uzo's last game in the NBA as well. But he had the triple-double. But what the bigger picture, again, going back to Damian Lillard, was that it took the Raptors down in the – like lottery odds. And so the Raptors end up finishing the season tied with the Golden State. So the Warriors must have won their last game as well. So the Raptors had 23 wins. The Warriors had 23 wins. And the New Jersey Nets, who had the same record as the Raptors coming into that last game, they stuck with 22 wins, which actually put them ahead of the the Raptors in terms of the the lottery odds. So uh, New Jersey ended up with the sixth overall pick. Uh, and Toronto and Golden State had to actually flip a coin. They lost the, the, the coin flip. So uh, Golden State got the seventh pick, uh, and Toronto ended up with the eighth pick. And I'm not sure if people remember the 2012 NBA draft all that well. It wasn't like the most memorable draft. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is how the top of the draft went. Uh, Anthony Davis went first overall to the, the the Hornets, which then became, I mean, yeah, like, the, the league moved up quite a bit with the with the Hornets. I believe the league was owning the NBA at this point, moment as well. But yeah, anyway, New Orleans was in, in jeopardy of, you know, being lost as a franchise. The league steps in and all of a sudden, Anthony Davis ends up the roster. Right, convenient. All right. Now, Michael K. Gilchrist goes to the Charlotte Hornets or Charlotte Bobcats, who uh, after a seven-win season, they got Michael K. Gilchrist. It, it might be one of the funniest things I've ever seen as an NBA fan. Uh, Washington Wizards, I believe, moved up and they got Bradley Beal, which was a great pick for them. Cleveland Cavaliers, they, you know, for a while there, Cleveland was just moving up to the draft all the time. Um, and they got Deion Waiters, who, you know, is Deion Waiters. All right. Uh, Sacramento took Thomas Robinson, which, you know, didn't really work out for them. And Portland, who infamously only protected the top three of that draft because, you know, as sources told uh, ESPN at that time, all they really saw in this draft that was worthwhile of protecting their pick for were Anthony Davis, Michael K. Gilchrist, and Thomas Robinson. And so that pick actually did convey because it didn't fall out of the in the top three. And so Portland ended up with the pick and they traded Gerald Wallace 
for Damian Lillard, number six pick. Now, at that time, it was a little bit, you know, we didn't know Dame was going to become Dame. We didn't know he was going to become a top 75 player, like perennial all-star, all that kind of stuff. Because um, he was playing at Weber State. He had a great season, but he was a little bit older as a prospect as well. But, uh, yeah, Damian Lillard was by far the, you know, this this well, not by far the best player in this draft because AD was also in this draft. But, like, I mean, he leads this draft class, for example, by a mile in points, by a mile in assists, stuff like that, right? And, and you know, top 75 player, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, that's how Portland ended up with Damian Lillard. And of course, going back, Toronto, if they had lost, could have been in the sixth position. In fact, if they had just lost that game to, uh, the New Jersey Nets on game 80 or game 66 in that, in that uh, shortened season, they would have been in the sixth slot and they would have been in position to draft Damian Lillard, who was available on the board at that time. And I know that Damian Lillard was even in Toronto for workouts. Uh, this is back in 2012, because again, he was. It wasn't like he was going to be the you know automatic number one pick that year. It was definitely AD was going to be the number one auto, uh, automatic pick. But the Raptors actually had Damien for workouts. So I actually looked that up, and um, this is from Eric Kareen, who was actually writing at the National Post at the time uh, before he joined the Athletic. But he, this is a quote from Damien Lillard at the Raptors for workouts. This is back in 2012, right? Rookie workouts. Quote. I went through customs, and I had never been out of the country before, so it was different. Lillard said after going through an individual workout, quote, but it's kind of like you're not in the United States, but you're right here. I think I could live here, and I like it. It's lively. It reminded me of Chicago. And, um, yeah, ultimately, obviously, the Raptors didn't end up taking uh, Dame. They weren't in position. Portland gets Dame. He becomes their franchise player for the next decade plus. The Raptors, ultimately, that season, by the way, in the offseason, they – Tried to go for Steve Nash. That didn't work out. And because of that, their plan B, which I guess was their plan C in this case, if, plan, if Damian Lillard drafting him was plan A, uh, plan C in this case was that they traded Gary Forbes in a protective future first for Kyle Lowry. And, of course, that became Toronto's franchise player uh, for a very long time as well. So it all worked out for Toronto. I'm not saying that, you know, this was like this like huge thing. But it is just kind of funny because, you know, that was – that was that was one of those like little butterfly effect kind of things. And um yeah, Ben Uzo, obviously he's back with the Raptors. That's very funny. Damian Lillard is now being rumored, um, as the discussion that we just had with Sean in joining the Raptors. So it's just it's just I don't know. I just thought it was just kind of funny how it worked out because again, like the Raptors actually had the chance to get Dame if it wasn't for Ben Uzo, who had a triple double that game, um, against the the New Jersey Nets. Um, and obviously a lot of things have to happen. I had to you know, do a little bit of research and tell you this whole story. And sorry if it was a little bit long winded, but, um, yeah, like I just think it's really funny how these things work. And also, by the way, 2012 draft that did ultimately give us something. Um, you know, it gave us Terrence Ross, who was a good Raptor. Um, you know, if guys were in, infamously in and out on him, I was definitely out on him towards the end. And we flipped him for Serge Ibaka, who contributed towards the championship, which was great. Uh, and also, the Raptors drafting Terrence Ross also gave us one of those like cult classics, which uh, if you look it up online, it's 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 still there. I, I double check every morning. Uh, but the "What About the Rosen" video, which um, shout out to my guy Courtney Swan. I don't know where he is. Last time I checked in on him, he was in the UK getting a law degree in, in Leicester. Um, but yeah, he was the guy in the video who said, "What about the Rosen? What about the Rosen?" Uh, because the Raptors drafted Terrence Ross, who was obviously playing the same position as DeMar DeRozan, uh, and he even he, is, he even put out a threat. He put, he put the he put the word out on the street about uh, Brian Colangelo do not come on the streets in Toronto, all that kind of stuff. But it gave us that video. It gave us that video, and it gave us a piece that we eventually flipped into a piece of the title. So again, it all worked out. But uh, 
It's, it's just, I don't know, NBA, NBA history is also very always very funny when you kind of go back on it. But yeah, shouts to Ben Uzo. Welcome back to the organization. I guess this is a long-winded way of saying that he's officially back with the team. And uh, yeah, Damian Lillard is, um, you know, again, his quote back then was, um, I think I could live here and like it. Uh, and I like it. It's lively. It reminded me of Chicago. Hey, it, it could be that. You know what I mean? It, it, it could be that. So, uh, Dame, you know, if you are back after a decade afterwards, uh, maybe someone will tell you this story and maybe uh, you'll get a kick out of it too. But uh, anyway, that does it for the podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the Raptor Show. And yeah, we'll bring you more topical, you know, um, interviews and things like that. Of course, we'll try to bring in um, – other, I'm working on a couple of other po- podcast projects um, that hopefully come in before the start of the season. But uh, just appreciate everyone for listening, sticking through. The offseason is almost done. We almost have, uh, you know, training camp around the corner. Again, media day. OG is scheduled to join the show, I believe, for the first time. So that will be very interesting. A couple more in- interviews to, to do that day as well. But uh, we'll be definitely interesting to see what OG says. Uh, and again, if he's here, because, you know, as we talked about in the first half of the program, he might be part of the this trade discussion. So who really knows? But uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, we're almost through the offseason.